Welcome to the AFIRE Podcast. Everyone knows by now that COVID-19 has changed, or at the very least, accelerated change in how we live, work, and play. But what then does the changed world look like? And how does that translate to real estate investing? Brian Sanchez, CIO, and Hans Nordby, Head of Research and Analytics for Lionstone Investments, wrote an insightful article for the summer issue of AFIRE Summit called Mixed Use Remixed that examines a changing trend in real estate that offers new opportunities for investors. I've asked them to talk with me a bit more about their strategies. So thank you, Brian and Hans, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. It's our pleasure to be here. So Brian, in the article, uh, you talked about how mixed use may be changing uh, in a post-pandemic world. Can, can you give us an idea of, of what that change looks like, its pace, where it's going, what's permanent, what's temporary as, as we look at mixed use? Well, sure. Let me, and let me start with the concept of, of mixed use being remixed. Um, that was a, a pre-pandemic concept uh, that we were very much seeing throughout the country. And, and it's predicated on a core belief we have that uh, mixed use is an old concept uh, that is built around sort of the basic needs of humankind. And we have gone through a period in the 20th century where we actually abdicated or, or uh, went away from that concept. And that's partially driven by the automobile, uh, but some other reasons that sort of height of the industrial uh, economy uh, uh, causing uh, a segregation of uses in our lives, even though in many ways that's inconsistent with how we all want to live. Uh, we don't really want to have to travel 30 minutes to do the various things in our lives, whether they be work or family or education or shopping, whatever it is. But that's the world we built after World War II. And so in many ways, what we're seeing happen uh, is a move back to a lifestyle where most of the critical elements of a person's lives can be done um, within a much, much smaller geography. And one of the ways in which that's done is to have uh, the built environment have a variety of uses uh, that, uh, in, in one very small area. So, so that, that's an important um, concept to, to understand, we believe. Um, and we are, like many people, like many investors right now, trying to figure out what the pandemic is going to mean both in the short term and the long term. And we have to make sure we're using that lens. There are undoubtedly some things that we have to accommodate in the short term while we're still grappling with the major effects and uncertainty of the pandemic. But we can't confuse that with the long-term implications. Now, that said, um, if we were to, uh, you know, hazard a prediction on, on what, what changes um, the pandemic is going to have for mixed use. 
we would argue that um, it, it, if anything, it's a it's slightly lower density um, uh, that that really can accommodate better um, a situation where uh, we're all worried about our health. And um, that was actually a direction you know we thought the best mixed use projects were going anyway. You know, the simplest way I can describe it to people is think London, not New York. Uh, both are wonderful cities. I love them dearly. But but the scale of London with its many villages throughout the city is probably the better example of where most American cities are heading. And I think that the need, the short term needs of the pandemic will only accelerate that. I think it's it's really interesting to me that this idea that what we know today in terms of this world where we commute large distances, where work only happens in a central business district, where we're spread out and we're spending hours in traffic going between school, home, uh, entertainment and work um, is a brand new concept in, in a lot of ways. I mean, it is our lifetime since the mid middle of the 20th century, but it really hasn't been that way through most of human history. And that's exactly right. And that's why we, we say, if anything, uh, uh, we're coming back to what was a great idea for about a thousand years. We're just returning to it. You talked about demand likely to grow for mixed use properties as the crisis subsides. Is there, are there certain aspects about what this crisis is doing to us in this time that will push more demand going forward? Well, I, I, I think that uh, people more so today are recognizing the, the benefits of flexibility. And uh, we're all enjoying that, I think, to some degree. Well, this is a trying time for many people, if not most people. There are some, some benefits to it. And we are moving around uh, a lot less than we would probably like. I'm not sure many of us want to return entirely to the way we were before, which for many of us, it was a frenetic lifestyle. And so I, I, I do think that the concepts of, you know, a sustainable lifestyle uh, defined, you know, not just in environmental uh, ways, which are really important. And, you know, the summer of 2020 is a powerful reminder of the need for sustainable environmental uh, practices. But, but sustainability defined as, as Hans Nordby recently defined in, in some, some articles as um, a, a sort of better lifestyle. And, and again, how does that happen? It partially happens in a built environment where uh, you can do the, all the things in your life in a, in a smaller geography so that you're home with your family sooner so that you can take care of both work and personal items um, and even some social elements um, in, in a much more efficient um, and, and sustainable way. That's a provocative idea in some ways, although, as you said before, not a new idea. But Hans, I'd love for you to expand a little bit on what you think that lifestyle shift looks like, feels like, where it's going. Yeah, absolutely, Gunnar. And, you know, the context here is fascinating. If you look at the rise of mixed use since the great financial crisis, what have we done? So over the course of the past 
10 years or so, we built up really dense urban nodes in places where there were already, you know, skyscrapers and transportation systems. And, and that makes sense. There was a lot of infrastructure there, and that's what people writ large wanted to do. But who were these people? Well, the last 10 years have been defined by the rise of the millennials, which are the largest generation. And this is what happens after World War II, everything the baby boomers did uh, every decade is what America did. And um, everything we've done in the last 10 years, not everything, but a great portion of it has been designed to fit the millennials. And, and it makes sense. So they say, you know, trust the poem, not the poet. What does the poem say? Well, it's been, you know, high density environments with lots of studios and one bedrooms that we built in places with abundant entertainment and live music and eating options and walking to work and gyms. All of this sounds like what people do when they're in their 20s. And, and, and that's what the millennials were. Today, the average millennial is 30 years old. The peak birth year for the millennials is 1990. The next decade will be just a, a huge change in terms of what this generation wants. So the last 10 years, mixed use has been defined by what 25 year olds want. The next 10 years will be defined by what 35 to 40 year olds want. And right now in this post pandemic environment, all of those changes are being accelerated. So these millennials are making these choices uh, now instead of five years from now. And what are those choices? Well, the typical 35-year-old person is more likely to have a spouse, more likely to have a small children, and uh, those wants and needs are different. In terms of space, that 500-square-foot studio or half of a two-bedroom that you share with a, a flatmate, that's different. When, you, when, when, you're, when you're part of a family, quite often that goes to 1,000 square feet or even more, maybe a desired 1,500 to 2,000 square feet. And that physical space, we haven't built in urban areas in the last 10 years. We built small apartments. So the wants and needs of this entire generation will change. Sure, there'll still be demand for conventional apartments, high-rise apartments. Some baby boomers will adopt those formats and maybe most of the millennials will just move into the previous generation, the boomers' houses. But on the margin, I think what they would prefer are many of the attributes they've come to really love over the past 10 years, the convenience, the 30-minute lifestyle that Brian just mentioned. And so, so this, as Brian said, is nothing new. Going back thousands of years, this is the English village. And if you work backwards from what people really want and give them that, we're really good at that in this country. In the past 10 years, we've given millennials a place to party and have fun and a short walk to work because that's what millennials wanted and they, they are what drove the demand for real estate. Over the next 10 years, the same group will have different wants and needs and the capital market will take care of them. So, so we think this looks more like larger living spaces, but probably not three, 4,000 square foot homes deep in the burbs where you need to drive to everything. So this mixed use environment, it looks a lot more like the English village. Townhouses, larger flats, walk to school, and importantly, people's behaviors going, going forward will be different. They're not gonna be going into an office to sit at a desk to work five days a week. 
they'll probably be going into the office if they work in an office three days a week, four days a week. They'll be working at home a great deal. And that also changes the live, work, play metric to bias in terms of larger space uh, when you're at home and making it more important that you have services that are close by. So a lot of the metrics change, but a lot of it really go back to that that English village, which I think is what re people really want the next decade. What's interesting is that technology change uh, versus 100 years ago is actually accelerating. And the technology really enables a lot of change to happen faster. So if we look at Zoom, Zoom existed three, four years ago. Uh, it wasn't important. It wasn't a household word and it wasn't a verb. Um, now people take Zoom meetings all the time and it becomes a standard part of everybody's workday. Uh, people are talking about having a Zoom room at home. So the real estate is following the technology pretty quickly. So yes, I think we're gonna have a pretty rapid change the next few years, and Americans tend to be mobile in terms of moving from city to city. We're seeing that this cycle as well with, with on the margin, a fair bit of population change out of some of the big coastal cities like New York City and into the cities that have been enjoying population growth in the Southeast and Southwest, and what I call the hockey stick of US growth, starting up in the, up in the Pacific Northwest, down through the Rockies, Texas, and over to the Carolinas. So we're definitely seeing technology aiding rapid change um, and the mobility of Americans changing where that, uh, where day-to-day -day life occurs. In the article, Brian, you talk about higher return and lower risk profile for mixed use. Can you expand on that? Why is that the case? Well, uh, one of the uh, important uh, beliefs that we have, and this is rooted in research, is that uh, one of the defining characteristics of low risk is high occupancy. You know, a simple, simple concept, but if, if your assets stay full uh, and beat, you know, the market and sub-market that they're in, um, uh, you're going to be able to withstand, you know, the inevitable uh, surprises and downturns that happen. We're, we're living through, you know, <laughs> what, what are the greatest ones right now? And so, uh, so much of our research is predicated on deeply understanding the uh, sort of demand for uh, a wide variety of real estate and making sure that's what we are investing in, number one. Um, uh, number two, you have to make sure you're paying the right price for that. And that's a, another critical part to being successful. Um, uh, but, but we are laser focused on occupancy uh, uh, in, in order to, to create durable cash flow, cash flow streams, which are, which are super important to us and our investor base. So, so that's why we come at it from that angle. Um, uh, we happen to know, based on our research, that uh, you do see sustainable rent premiums uh, in most mixed-use assets. Um, and that, uh, it, you know, again, one of the things we're looking for is durability of cash flows. We're also looking for uh, you know, the ability to grow that cash flow over time. And uh, if you're in the right, well-designed uh, project, 
your ability to over time push rents um, is is more likely to happen in our opinion in in these types of centers. Now we I will say that you know we abandoned the concept of mixed use predominantly after World War II and uh, sort of forgot how to do it <laughs> for about 50 years. And the development community um, has been in many ways relearning how to do it and relearning how to do it in a 21st century context and, and doing it in a way that does accommodate the automobile because that is uh, a permanent part of our lifestyle and, and pre-war uh, mixed use didn't necessarily have to accommodate the automobile the way it does today. So that is happening now. And, and I point that out only to say that there are some projects, especially in the first part of the century, that are uh, a mixed use that is mixed up. It's not it's not working. It didn't quite come together just right. And, and you don't get those um, premiums that I just talked about. And you may not get that occupancy, durable occupancy that I just talked about. Um, but uh, the, the, we're getting better at it. Um, um, there's a lot of innovation happening in design right now that, that, is, that is important in the curation of especially the ground floor and the sense of place. All of this is being redefined. It was, it was being redefined before the pandemic. And now the pandemic is making it, um, it accelerate by, you know, we think we we're accelerating by about 10 years as a result of the pandemic because so much of the ground floor experience, the retail that existed, we know a lot of the stuff in the past isn't gonna work. And so it's a reinvention of it going forward. And all of this is happening, but, but we do believe that you get these design principles right, you get the curation of the tenancy right, and you're gonna create um, uh, real estate assets that, that just have a premium and have a durability on them that, that, are, that are good for 10, 20 year long investments. Mixed use has often been something for the fortunate in our society economically. Um, it tends to not be inexpensive uh, to access mixed use. Uh, certainly, if you have high-end retail, you want to have high-end residential, high-end office. Do you think there is any room for some thinking around affordability, around more economic inclusion versus a kind of exclusionary model of mixed use? Look, I think society has to figure this out. And, and by the way, in a historical sense, I do not think mixed use was a luxury item. Actually, you know, if you go back to the English... Uh, analogy, um, you know, it was probably the less well-off who lived, you know, in the smaller um, uh, homes that are within the English village, and it was the uh, the lords that lived, you know, in the countryside. Um, so, so the fact that it has become, in effect, a luxury good currently um, is again a, a, a you know manifestation of, of of some of the challenges we have. I think we have to, as a society, figure out how to make it available uh, to, to you know, a wide range of socioeconomic um, demographics. Um, I, I do think it is, provides a higher quality of life. I, I do believe that it is better for the environment. And I do believe it is fundamentally better for 
the economy. And, I, and, and on that last part, I would say that what we are witnessing throughout the country is innovation in the digital economy happens um, you in these uh, reasonably dense clusters uh, of uh, amazing research universities mixed with uh, a, a finance, legal, and entrepreneurial uh, business community that can help commercialize these ideas. And it happens on street corners and in cafes and in incubation spaces um, where the, the, the mixing of ideas um, from multidisciplinary backgrounds of people uh, make amazing things happen. So think about what happens on street corners in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or Palo Alto, California, or downtown Austin, Texas, or midtown Atlanta with the relationship to Georgia Tech. Uh, are, this is how we now succeed. This is how this country competes, is in this you know, knowledge economy. And so the more we can in, um, invest and create a built environment that facilitates that, the more prosperity we can have. So this to me is like gr central ground for where we have to get public policy just right, but we have to channel uh, investment capital into the right places. And it has to work for the majority of the people. It can't be just for the elite who are thriving in, the, in this economy. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time, but I think this is an area that warrants a lot more exploration as we look at remixed uh, uh, mixed use versus mixed up uh, mixed use. Um, just want to thank you, uh, Brian Sanchez and Hans Nordby, for sharing your thoughts on the AFIRE podcast. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us, Gunnar. Thank you for doing this and keeping the AFIRE community informed uh, and, and connected. And before we close out this podcast, I wanted to make sure we took some time to thank our underwriters, Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners, who make it possible for AFIRE to provide programming such as these podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.